This episode is brought to you by Pepsi Wild Cherry. Pepsi Wild Cherry is bursting with delicious cherry flavor and a sweet, crisp taste that gives you more to go wild for. Getting wild may look different these days, but whether it's opting for a solo Friday binge watch or a big night out, everyone can indulge in their wild side with Pepsi Wild Cherry, also available in Zero Sugar. So grab a Pepsi Wild Cherry and get wild. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry, we were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right, ChumbaCasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchases, over limited by law, 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Three, two, one. When I'm working out, I love to listen to your podcast. Whenever you say something, other people react to it. Taking my breath away, Aaron. Fern Lundquist joins me. Hall of Famer Jim Calhoun. NASCAR icon Dale Earnhardt Jr. Kirk Herbstreet is on the phone. Here we go. Welcome in, everybody. Episode 269 of the podcast. It is Sweeping America. The Air Tour Sports Podcast. It is Thursday, July 9th, 2020. I hope all of you are having a great post-4th of July holiday week. I hope all of you had a chance to get away this past weekend, enjoy time with family, eat well, drink well, listen to the Aaron Torres pod with all your friends and family around the campfire, whatever you guys do on 4th of July, it's not my business. But great show today. Unfortunately, a little bit more of a serious show today because obviously, look, we're all on pins and needles trying to figure out when sports are going to come back, what they're going to look like, all that stuff. And I think at this point, we all feel pretty good about the NBA coming back in the bubble, Major League Baseball. Uh, obviously, look, tennis, golf, maybe not tennis, but golf, UFC, boxing are all back. And the next big one on the docket is college football. And so you know where I'm going with this, and you know what the big story of Wednesday was. And that was very simply this. We did get some bad news with the Ivy League becoming the first conference across college football. I won't say it's a major conference because it's not, but the first conference across college football to announce that they will not play football in the fall. Now, it's uncertain if they're going to play in the spring, if they're not going to play at all, but the Ivy League becomes the first conference that says no sports for us for the rest of 2020. We will circle back on January 1st. And so I will basically spend most of the rest of this show explaining what that means. Some of it is negative. Some of it is positive. Some of it is TBD. I do not think this means that the football season is ruined. We will not get any major college football this year. Also, I will talk about what it means for basketball and some of the other sports because no sports in 2020 means that we will not get conference uh, out-of-conference basketball games. And so this is actually a really big story, uh, and I wish every show could be fun and loose and we could goof off, but this is one where we have to get a little bit serious. So the Ivy League will be the overarching story on today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast, and I'm just going to take you through... What is going on? What is the truth? What is fiction? What could happen? What will happen? And really, what does it mean for the big picture of college football as a whole? And even to a degree, what it could mean for college basketball as we get closer to that sport starting up in October, November, December, etc. So that's the show. 
And before we get started on that show, I want to remind everybody, please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes. You can do it on the Podcast Addict app. You can do it on Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts. Make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like, what you don't like, where you listen to the show. Any five-star rating really does help us move up the iTunes chart, so I appreciate the support. For those of you who have done it, I appreciate you. For those of you who haven't, go over to iTunes, leave us a quick five stars, let us know what you like. Also, make sure you're following on all the social media accounts, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. Also got a little YouTube page going, Aaron Torres writer on Facebook, basically wherever you are online except for TikTok. I haven't gone down the TikTok road yet. Everywhere else online, I am there. Find me, Aaron Torres. And as I mentioned, Aaron Torres, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram. A lot of extra content there. All right, people. There is no more time to waste. And let's get into this big mega story from Wednesday afternoon, where the Ivy League became the first conference in college football, and again, I said off the top, not major conference, but first conference in college football to announce they ain't playing football. They ain't playing football in 2020, and for people who missed the press release or who who didn't really read into it too much, basically what you need to know is this. The Ivy League, the schools that consist of Harvard and Yale and Princeton and the Winklevoss twins and all those nerds pushing their glasses up with one finger, they said no sports for the rest of 2020. And so what that means is a couple things. One, there will be no football, at least in the traditional fall setting. They may try to play football and soccer and all the other fall sports in the spring after January 1. They will reevaluate at that time, but there are no spring sports. And then, of course, for the winter sports, uh, they will not start on time or they will not play a traditional schedule. And so basketball, which as we all know, traditionally starts in early November, they will have no out-of-conference games in basketball. They will have a shortened schedule in hockey and all the other winter sports. And I think basketball, we're looking at the reality of basically a you know, a conference-only schedule. And so let's get into all this. Let's get into some of the details, and let's get into what it means, what it doesn't mean, what it might mean, etc. And the first thing that I want to say is this. Despite all the doom and gloom, naysaying people in the media, and there are a lot of people in the media that seem to be, uh, you only want to share negative stories about COVID and coronavirus. This does not mean that college football at the big boy schools, at the Alabamas and LSUs and Tennessees and Floridas and Ohio States and Oklahomas, it does not mean that those schools are screwed, that they will not play games. This is completely independent of everything else, right? And so I think the doom and gloom media, the guys that only want to share negative stories on social media, they're going to point to the NCAA tournament, March Madness, and say, well, look, the Ivy League was the first one to cancel their uh, their conference tournament, and everybody mocked them, and then two days later, every other conference tournament was canceled, the NCAA tournament was canceled, etc. That is not factually incorrect, but that is not the whole story either. What the Ivy League essentially did back in March was they were, to their credit, this is not a discredit to the Ivy League, to their credit, they were very proactive in making the decision 
to cancel their conference tournament. And what it essentially came down to was this, is that they didn't want all these teams traveling in an uncertain time when we really didn't know much about the virus, etc. And if you remember, they actually named a conference champion. They said the regular season champion will get an automatic bid to the NCAA tournament um, if the NCAA tournament gets played. Now, obviously, the NCAA tournament didn't get played, but what the Ivy League did even back then was to be proactive, to have foresight, to make the decision that we don't need to bring a bunch of teams to one place to play games when we kind of already know who the best team is, and if there is an NCAA tournament, we will send a representative. Then the NCAA tournament got canceled, so it doesn't matter. So first of all, the whole narrative that the Ivy League started this all off is a little bit misleading. But I think the bigger misleading part of this conversation comes where we are now with major college football. And that is the assumption that because the Ivy League canceled football for the fall, it 100% means we ain't playing football this year. Now look, I will say this. Throughout this COVID coronavirus stuff, I have tried to be Mr. Optimism. Now I will also say this. I have delivered you information as I have it in real time. And so those first couple weeks after COVID, after this whole thing started, after the NCAA tournament was canceled, I don't think anyone knew what to expect. Then you got into the spring, you got into late April, early May, you started to see optimism. By late May, you started to see the reality that we're going to get kids back on campus here in the next couple weeks. We get kids back on campus in early June. There was real optimism that everything would largely go off without a hitch once the football season started in August. Now, there were going to be hiccups. There, We knew there were going to be positive tests. We knew there probably weren't going to be 100% fans in the stands. But what I have tried to do is deliver information to you in real time as I get it. As an audience, I want you to be educated. And I do think this is a place where you can go for smart conversation, good conversation, and realistic conversation. I've never once said that everything's going to be 100% perfect come week one and get your tailgates ready and fire up the grill. I've also never said the season's doom and gloom, it's canceled. And so what I want to do is take you into the minds of major athletic officials today, July 9th, the day after the Ivy League announces that they have canceled their football season or at the very least postponed it to January. And here is what every major conference official in college sports is thinking right now. Yeah, we don't really care. And when I say, yeah, we don't really care, I think they're observing it. Uh, I think they're paying attention. But to me, this is the equivalent of you uh, sitting in your backyard drinking a beer on 4th of July weekend, and you see your neighbor putting hurricane windows on the, 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 the whatever, the, the, the side windows of their house. And you ask them, like, well, what are you, why are you putting on hurricane windows? And they say, well, you know, we three months, there could be a hurricane, we're preparing. That doesn't mean that you have to put hurricane windows. doesn't mean two things. doesn't mean that you won't need hurricane windows at some point, and it, but it also doesn't mean that you need hurricane windows at this exact moment. And so that is where I think major college athletic directors are at right now, major conference commissioners. By the way, I just made up that analogy right off the top of my head. I mean, give me a little bit of credit here. I'm in a hot-ass apartment in California. It's like 100 degrees in my apartment. I just made that up off the top of my head, that hurricane window analogy. But I really do think that that is where these conference commissioners and these ADs are at, is I think they're looking at the Ivy Leagues. I think they respect the Ivy Leagues. I think they respect the intelligence of the people that work at the Ivy Leagues. But I also think that they understand that just because the Ivy League's canceled football or postponed football, 
it doesn't necessarily mean that their seasons have to be canceled or will be canceled. And I think what they're doing is they're stepping back and they are saying, we are going to wait, we are going to continue to gather information, and we are going to try our best to get this season off without a hitch. Doesn't mean 100% it will happen, but it doesn't mean 100% that it won't happen like in the Ivy Leagues either. And the first and, and most important thing I think we all need to understand is that when we look at the Ivy Leagues and when we look at the SEC or the ACC or the Big Ten, they're really, even though they're both college football, they're two really completely different things if you really think about it, right? The Ivy League has no athletic scholarships, okay? I don't know how many guys in the NFL played in the Ivy League, but I bet you can count them on one hand, maybe two. Ivy League football, with due respect, is not SEC football. It's not even Pac-12 football, and we know Pac-12 football is terrible. It's not the same. The Ivy Leagues don't make money off football. They don't need football. It is, I don't want to call it a recreational activity or a leisure activity. That's disrespectful to the players and the coaches in that league. But it ain't the same as LSU, and it ain't the same as Michigan, and it ain't the same as Penn State. And so I bring that up because the Ivy League kind of has the ability to just say, we're not playing football, and it doesn't really impact what goes on at the school. But it would impact LSU. It would impact Alabama. It would impact Penn State, Tennessee, Kentucky, Georgia, Florida, whatever. And so because of that, I think the people that run major college football are waiting as long as they possibly can to make these decisions. Because the bottom line remains, as we've talked about, as you all know, you guys are a smart audience. I love communicating with you. There is so much at stake for everybody to play this season and to get it played. And think about it. Everyone says, oh, it's all about the money. And I'm not going to lie. That is a huge part of it, right? But I can't deny that that is part of it. So in these cities, hundreds of millions, if not billions of dollars are generated by the football team. Alabama, a few weeks ago, the mayor came out and said somewhere in the neighborhood of $2 billion is generated for the city of Tuscaloosa by Alabama football. That number may have been a little bit high, but the point remains it's a huge number. So it's important for the city. It's obviously important for the schools and the athletic departments as a whole. We saw the situation at Stanford, which I may get into in a minute. You don't have football. You can't really have the sports that don't make any money, which is baseball and tennis and golf, and we're seeing sports cut across college athletics. I talked about UConn a few days ago. You can't really have those sports if you don't have football paying for them. But there's also others that have something at stake too, including the players. And I know we want to talk about amateur athletes and it's so tough and life is so hard and blah, blah, blah. A lot of these guys need this season. A lot of these guys need this season to put you know, film out there to pursue an NFL career or pursue a professional career or whatever the case may be. This is important to those guys too. Make no mistake, not everybody is Trevor Lawrence. Not everybody is Justin Fields. Not everybody can just sit out a year of football and not have it impact their lives in a major way. So don't get it wrong. Jim Harbaugh made some comments on, on Tuesday or Wednesday. He took some criticism, but the bottom line is he was basically saying, like, my players want to play because they know what's at stake. Those seniors, those juniors, this might be their last chance to put a film out to get them to the NFL. So there is so much at stake for everybody, and I think we're going to do everything we can to get it played. And so now that we're talking about the reality that I do think 
despite what happened in the Ivy Leagues, football will be played in some way, shape, or form. Let's talk about the different possibilities, okay? So I think, first of all, the first possibility at this point, sadly, I don't think it's the most realistic, which we'll get into, is that the season just goes off on time. And I think it's still a possibility. I think there's still a possibility that the numbers go down, as, and I'm not going to get into the politics of it all and wear a mask and all that stuff. I'm just saying, we saw the numbers spike. We saw the impact it's having on everything. But there's also a chance that those numbers could go down in the next couple weeks. There's a chance that they go down enough where we feel it's safe to have football. As we do more rounds of testing, it's possible that we see that the players have antibodies and they're not testing positive in the way that they were. We spent so much time talking about Clemson having 30, 40 players test positive. What if none of them will catch the illness anymore? And so the possibility certainly exists that this season could go off without a hitch. Now, I, I do think we're past the point of having full fans in the stands at any of these venues anywhere. But I think the possibility exists that this season could go off without a hitch. And I think there were some positive signs this week that that could happen. First of all, there are positive signs in terms of the testing. And again, I promise not to get into the, the nitty gritty and the politics of all of it and all that stuff. But University of Washington on Wednesday announced they tested 157 athletes. One tested positive. I would say that's pretty good. That's a good sign, right? Notre Dame tested 100 plus athletes. None of them came back positive. I would say that's a good sign. I would also take it a step further. Many of you are Kentucky fans. Mitch Barnhard, the AD, was apparently calling donors and boosters this week, explaining the possibilities of half capacity at both Kroger Field, the football stadium, and Rupp Arena, the basketball arena. And so if you have an AD planning for 50% capacity... That might not be a great thing because it means you're not 100% capacity. I know some of you are actually Kentucky season ticket holders. Maybe you've gotten these phone calls. But I don't think that it's the worst thing that an AD is planning to play a full 12-game season just with 50% capacity. That's actually a good thing. So that's a positive sign. That's a positive that the possibility exists that we get in a full 12-game schedule the way that it's planned. I don't know that it's most likely, though. And what I do think is a possibility at this point, and I hate to say it, is that the major conferences wait another couple weeks, wait as long as they possibly can, and then at some point come out with kind of a joint statement sometime early to middle of August and say, we're just not ready yet to start the football season. And essentially what they will try to do is kick the can down the road and hope that this thing gets sorted out, that the numbers go down, that it becomes safer, and we start the season, say, October 1, around there, maybe a few days early. I don't know exactly what the calendar says. And we play a conference-only schedule. And I've seen a lot of people talk about that. I think the possibility certainly exists. And I do think if you think that it's relatively safe, but you want to mitigate risk, it does make sense. Because think about it. If you play eight or ten conference games, you, one, eliminate, first of all, three teams that you're probably just going to beat the crap out of, right? Like Alabama has four out of conference games. One of them's USC that could be competitive. They're going to beat the crap out of everybody else. So you just take them off the schedule. And what it does is a few things. One, for the smaller schools, it really sucks because you're going to lose out on a lot of money. But you're not taking two, three, four cross-country flights to play whoever is on the schedule. 
even for the good teams, they usually play one out-of-conference game either in a true road setting or a neutral site setting, right? So Auburn, I believe, or excuse me, so Michigan is playing at Washington in week one. Nobody wants that game more than your boy AT. I love sports. I want sports back. But in the grand scheme of things, if we're saving flying, you know, 50-plus players from Michigan to Washington, putting them in a hotel for two or three days, it's probably not the worst thing. Ohio State's playing at Oregon in week two. Probably not the worst thing to keep 60 guys in Ohio rather than flying them across country. And so I think that possibility certainly exists. I think the possibility of playing a heavy conference schedule starting in August, or excuse me, starting in October exists. And I think we're inching closer to that maybe being, to use a golf term, the leader in the clubhouse. I'm not ready to say yet that we're not going to start right around September 1st, but I think we have to be prepared for the possibility that maybe we start to eliminate some out-of-conference games. It sucks, but if the alternative is no football and we can do it safely... I think we'll all take that eight-game conference schedule, and again, it makes sense because conference games, you can take more buses, it's, it's, it's fewer long flights, it's fewer nights in a hotel, and it makes sense if you're trying to mitigate the risk of your players. Those are the two, I would say, most likely alternatives. Here are some that I frankly just don't see happening, at least not in a worst, uh, at least not until a worst-case scenario. In terms of the things I don't see happening, I know it's picked up steam the last couple days. I don't see spring football. I don't see spring college football for a million reasons. First of all, you ever been to Madison, Wisconsin in January? Or Ann Arbor? Or South Bend? Or Seattle? Or even Fayetteville? Or even Lexington? Or even Louisville? I've been to Lexington in January. It's cold, and it's windy, and it's not ideal. So one, just the reality of starting a football season in January, February, especially in the northern states, just doesn't seem ideal or realistic. It also coincides, by the way, with cold and flu season. Not trying to be a doctor. Not trying to pretend I, I have my, 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 my PhD from Harvard, which just canceled football. I'm just saying, if you want to mitigate risk, I don't know that throwing football smack dab in the middle of cold and flu season is the best alternative. Here's the other thing. If the argument is to play in the spring with the hope that there's a vaccine, we might not have a vaccine by January. We might not have a vaccine by January of 2022. And so this idea that if you just push football off that everything will work out in the spring is not realistic. And then I think the, the, the other reasons are the ones that are the absolute most obvious. It's going to be really hard to get those elite players to play in the spring when the NFL draft is in April and the next training camp and mini camp would ideally start in July or June, right? So you're Trevor Lawrence and you're going to play January through April and two weeks later you get drafted and then two weeks later you're in mini camp. That does not feel realistic for the best players, but then for everybody else, and I think here's the thing, right? Everybody's focused on, well, Trevor Lawrence wouldn't play. Well, Justin Fields wouldn't play. Well, as I said a minute ago, the guys that are actually good enough to not play college football and still get drafted really high, it's actually a very small group. And instead, what I think you're actually doing is putting everybody else at risk, whether they're coming back to college or pursuing a professional career. If you don't start until January 
and you don't end until the middle of March, April, whatever, think about what that does to a football player's body. Think about the fact that that football player will play 8, 10, 12, 13 games, whatever the season ends up being, ends in March or April, then has to go to training camp, then has to be ready to play again the following September. So if you push college football back to the winter, the possibility exists that you're going to have to push the 2021 season back as well because you can't realistically expect a football player to play 8, 10, 12 games, end the season in the middle of April, and then report for the following season in July. And so I think that that is essentially spring football, spring college football, is a doom and gloom, absolute worst case scenario. Now, I'm not going to put it at 0%, because if you had asked me a year ago, I would say there's a 0% chance the NCAA tournament gets canceled, and here we are, no NCAA tournament in 2020. So I don't want to put it at 0%. But what I will say is it just does not feel likely that that's going to happen, and it is not what anyone in college athletics wants. It's not what the ADs want. It's not what the TV networks want. It's not what the players want. It's not what the coaches want. And so I don't think, I would say on the spectrum of reality, that's like less than 10%. And then finally, the one that I think is closest to zero is that we just canceled the season. Because I got to be honest, we saw what happened at Stanford on Wednesday, which we're going to get into in a minute. We saw what happened at UConn a couple weeks ago when five sports were cut. We saw University of Cincinnati cut some non-Olympics or some Olympic sports. We've seen Bowling Green, and you go on and on and pick the school. Sport after sport after sport after sport is cut, and that was after a year where we had a full football season and basically a full basketball season. If we go no NCAA tournament and no football. I think you can just basically say sayonara to Olympic sports. And how does that work? I don't know exactly because there's Title IX and you got to keep the same number of women's scholarships as men's scholarships, but you are going to see sports cut everywhere. Because if they're cut at Stanford, I'm telling you they could be cut just about anywhere else. And so I think the possibility of just not even playing football is, is, is minuscule and I don't see how it's possible because the economic ramifications on athletic departments, on towns, on everything would just be crippling. So those are the four options. And I will say, if you are asking me, AT, what do you think is most realistic? I said it a minute ago. I do think the most realistic is a truncated, shortened schedule. I'm not saying that's what I like. I'm not saying it's what I prefer. I'm not saying it's 100%. What I am telling you is I think realistically speaking, realistically speaking, it's going to be tough. I mean, keep in mind, week zero now, week zero is August 29th. I'm recording here on July 9th. We can't even get workouts right right now. And I'm not blaming anybody. This is new for all of us. We're all doing our best with this. And I hope I'm wrong, by the way. If, if, if you take one thing out of this, know that there is no one that wants football back more than me. And that's been kind of the crazy thing that I've watched from a distance. I see so many sports writers, the doom and gloom, uh, we're never going to play football. And I'm sitting there saying, dude, do you even like football? Do you even watch football? Do you even want to watch football? Because I'm AT, man. Like me, dude, I love football. If I wasn't doing this for a living, I would still be on the couch every day, 12 hours on a Saturday watching football, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday night watching college hoops, Thursday night, Friday night, whatever. And there's some people, I'm like, I don't even think you like football. All you do is share negative articles. 
but I have to be realistic. I have to be fair. And I will say, if I was handicapping it right now, I would probably make a shortened schedule, maybe with at least one or two out-of-conference games eliminated, the leader in the clubhouse right now. And I hope I'm wrong. And I hope we figure out a way to do this on the early or the end of August, beginning of September. Even if it isn't 50, even if it's at full capacity with fans. I'm just saying, I think realistically right now, if I had to handicap it, I would say, I think we're getting a shortened college football season. I think we're going to figure out a way to play in September, in October, but I don't think we're going to play the 12 games. I don't think we're going to get all those fancy neutral site games. I don't think we're going to get some of the big out-of-conference games. I think we're going to try to keep it local, keep it regional. Ironically, a lot like what Rick Pitino tweeted about the other day when he said, let's start our season January 1st and play conference games only. I think we could be looking at something like that for football. Again, I hope I'm wrong, but I'm just sharing what I know right now, what I believe right now, and we will see where it goes from here. Really quickly, I do want to get to basketball a little bit because I got actually got a great question. I was doing a radio interview in Tuscaloosa, and they know I'm a huge hoops guy, and obviously, look, Nate Oates, head coach of Alabama, has been on this show. And they asked me point blank, they said, does... If football gets impacted, does it just automatically mean that basketball is screwed? And I thought it was a great question, and I think it's worth bringing up here. And what I would say is this, is that you almost have to look at basketball completely independently from football as two completely different entities, each with some benefits, each with some drawbacks, each with some pluses, each with some minuses. Now, I will say with the, with the Ivy League news from Wednesday, the first piece of information is very simply this. If you got an Ivy League scheduled, uh, Ivy League team scheduled and you're out of conference, you better be working the phones right now because you ain't playing in Ivy League school until at least January 1st. And that was kind of some of the f- more lighthearted buzz that I got out of talking to college basketball coaches on Wednesday, which was like, dude, we got to get back to s- the schedule because we had Columbia or Yale or Harvard or whatever, and uh, we got to get this thing figured out. So if you have a Ivy League opponent in your college basketball team schedule, yeah, they, they ain't playing them. So that's like the first big thing. But let's talk about the differences between football and basketball because, again, I think it's important to note that even if football is altered, delayed, it doesn't mean the same for basketball. What are the differences? What are the similarities? Whatever. I do think that football does have some inherent advantages, right? The first one, it's played outside. And we all know, and I'm not, I'm not going to do the whole, you know, wear your mask thing, whatever. But if you're outside, it seems as though this virus is spreading less quickly outside than it is indoors. So football has that advantage. Football has the advantage of like, like I just said, we really need football to get played. And I think if there's any way these conference commissioners can get it played, they will. But it does have some disadvantages too that basketball has. Basketball, a couple different things. First of all, they just have the advantage of time, right? basketball has the advantage, college basketball has the advantage of watching how the NBA handles stuff in a bubble, how the MLB handles stuff in a pseudo bubble, how college football handles stuff, and college basketball gets to watch all that and then plan a course of action from there. College basketball also has the advantage of there's just fewer guys, right? And there are fewer guys that are really needed to play. In football, you're talking about a team of, you know, 85 scholarship players, but 
let's be honest, you need like, what, 45, 50 guys at minimum when you talk about offense, defense, special teams, kickers, punters, backups, depth on the defensive line, depth at the wide receiver position, corner, slot, nickel. You're talking about 45, 50 guys, right? So you have a situation like Clemson a few weeks ago. You have, and you lose 20 guys in a week, it's going to be pretty hard to play. Basketball, in theory, in theory, you could play with five, six, seven guys, right? There are some coaches that don't like to go deep into their bench. They only want to play six guys anyway. So basketball, if a, a, a mini outbreak happens, you can kind of keep going if you need to. I would add this too, is that there is also going to be, I don't want to say more natural social distancing when it comes to basketball, but what I will say is this, is that the college basketball season is more in line with natural social distancing, right? So like, the, like, like take college football right now. College football right now, the campuses that are open and are having fun and bars are open, that's where you're seeing a lot of these outbreaks, right? LSU, um, there was, a, uh, there was a, a one case that spread at a bunch of bars, a bunch of LSU players were there, they all caught it. Kansas State, same deal. They all go to a party, 10, 15 guys, they all get it, they have to shut down the workouts. College basketball, keep in mind, we're talking about a lot of these schools moving up the academic calendar, so by like mid to late November, they're going to be on winter break, and they're not going to be back on campus till potentially early February. So basketball players will naturally be at a further distance um, and just be around fewer people throughout their season. So I think basketball has some good advantages. There are also some disadvantages. Like I said, it's played indoors. If there's no fans, I don't know how much that matters, but it, it may matter a little bit. It's played during cold and flu season. We talked about that a minute ago. Oh, by the way, there's a lot more games and a lot more travel in college basketball. And so again, I don't want to be Debbie Downer. I don't want to be Negative Nancy. I don't want to be a Karen that you see on one of those Instagram videos. But what I'm going to tell you is this, is that some of those tournaments that we love around Thanksgiving, I do think they might be in jeopardy. I think it's going to be hard for a college basketball program, if things don't get going right with football, we don't get it figured out, to send a team to Maui, right? Indiana and North Carolina are supposed to go to the Maui Invitational. It's going to be tough to justify sending North Carolina 5,000 miles away, multiple airplanes, multiple connections, a week at a hotel, and then multiple flights back to North Carolina. It's going to be tough to justify some of the tournaments out of the country that you might not even be able to get to, and then you might have to quarantine when you come back. And so I do think college basketball will be impacted, but like I said, I do think there are some inherent advantages to college basketball that college football doesn't have, and so because of it, uh, I'm actually weirdly more optimistic that college basketball looks somewhat normal than I am college football. I, I already explained college football. I'm not going to get back into it, but I, I, I really can see a scenario where there are fewer games. There, it's more of a regionalized sport. College basketball, um, you know, in theory, could go on relatively unharmed, especially with social distancing, especially with half-empty arenas, all that stuff. I just don't know if we cannot figure out a way to get this virus kind of under control. 
I don't know the way that you keep 85 football players from not getting infected once students all come back to campus. And, and how do you handle that? I think it's a lot more realistic with a basketball team. So again, basketball, I feel like has some inherent advantages, but we're going to see, man. And the one thing I would say very simply as I get set to wrap up is a couple things. Is one, you know, nobody knows anything. And the one thing I will tell you is this. Anybody that you see on Twitter or anybody that you see on Instagram that is saying anything definitive, I'll tell you this. As of right now, as I'm recording, nobody knows what the heck they're talking about because not even the conference commissioners, not even these ADs really know what's going to happen. Not even these conference commissioners, AADs, know exactly what the schedule is going to look like, exactly what the drop-dead date is, exactly when we need to figure out with 100% certainty that they will you know, continue on as normal or cancel. Nobody knows, right? We're all figuring it out as we go. So that's what I would say is first and foremost, is that, that it is going to take a couple more weeks before we know anything definitive. So if you see a report that, oh, the, 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 the ACC is going to play, like, just don't, just don't. We're all figuring this out as we go. I'm reporting it to you in real time. I'm trying to give you the information as I get it, but it's incredible. We are here in the middle of July, beginning to middle of July, and there are still a lot of questions about football, which will then, of course, lead to a lot of questions about basketball. So I do hope that clarifies it for you, but I will tell you one thing. And I don't want to end on a negative note. I don't want to be, again, negative Nancy or whatever. But what I'll tell you very simply is this. I hope we get sports, man. And, and, and it's because, again, a couple reasons. I'm a fan. If you guys are listening to this show in July after the NCAA tournament was canceled four months ago, you are a fan. You love sports. You want to see your favorite football or basketball team on the court. And so I think that's, that's the first reason, right? But the second reason is, I said it a minute ago, is what happened at Stanford today. And I think that's a very, very important tie that combines everything that's going on right now. So for people who didn't see Stanford, which did have one of the biggest athletic departments in America, 36 Division I teams, I believe, they cut 11 sports on Wednesday. Now, they were all non-revenue Olympic sports. They had a fencing team, men's volleyball, rowing, things like that. But those are kids who have competed in this sport their entire life that in one day the hammer falls and it's gone, okay? And so I think it's an important moment for college athletics because it's one thing at UConn, which up until a week ago, literally a week ago, was not in a major conference. It's one thing at Cincinnati, at Bowling Green, a Mac school, a Mountain West school. But when you see Stanford, with one of the biggest endowments in the world, and I know endowments aren't directly tied to athletics, whatever, but they play in a major conference. They have never been cash-strapped in the past. When they said, we got to cut 11 sports after four months, we're not talking about two years without football. We're talking about four months without sports. And Stanford had to cut 11 sports? What that says to me is something that I've been telling you on this show for a while, right? Like the biggest topic in college sports in perpetuity since I've been following college sports 25 years ago. You got to pay the players. Players deserve more. Got to pay them. Got to do this. Got to do that. And I've said like, look, I'm not saying the players don't deserve more, but most Division I athletes at most Power 5 schools have it pretty good. And I bring this up to say that what I have also told you is that most of these schools are operating a lot more closely 
between the black and the red than people realize. Everyone thinks, oh, because LSU builds a new basketball or football facility or Kentucky upgrades its basketball facility, that all oh, these schools have so much money and they're just spending money left and right. And to a degree, that's true. But at a lot of these schools, man, they're really close to the cut line. And they are really close to, I don't want to say going under, but I will say being in a really bad position if football isn't played. And so I think the story at Stanford is only going to continue to pop up at different schools. I saw Michigan the other day announced that they're expecting a major budget shortfall for the 2020-2021 school year. And every school in America is, to be perfectly honest. And so I only bring this up to say, I really hope we get football back because one, I love it. One, I'm going to watch it if it's empty stadiums, half-filled stadiums, good games, bad games, conference-only, non-conference-only, whatever. But college athletics as a whole needs football, and I think we learned that today with Stanford, and I really do hope um, you know, that, that, that I, the next time I come on or the following time after that or whatever, we have some more positive news to report. Because obviously, look, if you've made it to this far, if you made it through 40 minutes, you know this isn't a fun show. This isn't a show that I enjoy doing, right? I, I've tried to be Mr. Positive. I've tried to be Mr. Realistic throughout this. I haven't tried to just give you negative information. I've tried to contextualize it. I've tried to tell you what other people are telling me. But today was a little bit of a tough show. Not, not tough in the sense like, oh my God, my life is so hard because I had to tell you. But I want this show to be fun. You guys watch sports because you love sports. I cover sports because I, I love covering sports. And I wish there was a, a moment here where I could just be super happy and goofy and have fun and this and that and the other thing. But it's a serious topic. It's a serious show. And it's just one of those deals where I think today was one of those days we had to be serious. We had to have a big boy talk. And I certainly hope the next time I come on, I have better news for you. And I think that's it for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. As I said, I'm in an apartment in California. It is hot as you know what. But uh, I appreciate you guys listening. Obviously, uh, you know, like I said, I hope, I, hope, I hope the next show and the show after and after that, I start to have more positive news to deliver you. But obviously, today was one of those days that it was like, crap, man. We really got to talk about the hard issues today. But I appreciate you guys listening. And if you, by the way, let's just get to the end of this because enough of AT. You've had enough. I've had enough. Whatever. But what I want to say is a couple things. First of all, Please make sure that you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. You can do it on iTunes, the Podcast Addict, Podcast Addict app, I should say, which is what I use, by the way, to listen to this show. It's for Android, the Podcast Addict app. Also, Podbean, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, wherever you listen to podcasts, make sure you're subscribed to the Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Also, make sure to rate and review the show. Give us a quick five stars. Let us know what you like. Uh, And as I said off the top, all those five-star ratings really do help. Also, make sure you're following on social media, Instagram, Aaron underscore Torres underscore sports underscore podcast on Instagram, uh, email Aaron Torres podcast questions at gmail.com. And, uh, and yeah, I think that's about all for today's Aaron Torres sports podcast. I want to thank you. By the way, fun show on Monday. I will have uh, this guy named Matt Babcock, who is an NBA draft expert. And I just kind of want to talk to him about where we are with the draft process. It's obviously not only college sports that are being impacted, but the NBA draft process, it feels like it started a million years ago. Remember when Kentucky lost its whole starting five, and what are they going to do? Nick Richards left, and E.J. Montgomery left, and Tyrese... That was like a million years ago. So, 
I will have an NBA draft expert on to just talk about where we are with the NBA draft, what's going on, what the process is looking like for the players involved. Uh, But yeah, fun show coming Monday. I appreciate you guys listening. But that is all for today's Aaron Torres Sports Podcast. Shout out to Torrent Craig. Shout out to Rachel, who hates my voice. And I will be back Monday. I hope you guys have a great weekend. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details.